0: personal growth space available immediately and other intriguing topics will be on today's intentional clinician episode with Eli Bedrosian LPC. Eli earned his master's in professional counseling from Grand Canyon University in Arizona. He completed his counseling internship at the famous Meadows Clinic and he worked four years there in various roles as a therapist. The focus of his program at the Meadows was working with the family of origin and supporting people in healing from trauma and recovering from various addictions. He then worked at Psychological Counseling Services for around six years. There he w- focused on trauma and addiction as well and also worked on treating, specifically, sexual compulsivity. He is a somatic experience practitioner and an EMDR therapist. He is currently working on becoming a sex therapist and training through the University of Michigan. He is a licensed professional counselor for about 11 years, and he has been in private practice for the last year. He sees individuals, couples, and families at the Biltmore Wellness Collective in the Biltmore neighborhood in Phoenix, Arizona. I really think you're going to like Eli's perspectives on guilt as evidence of progress, mental health hygiene, and trauma and addiction, among other topics. If you are a private practice therapist or a small group and are looking for ethical, efficient, and excellent billing services, look no further than Therapist Billing Services, LLC. Therapist Billing Services was a billing company made by therapists for therapists. It's www.therapistbillingservicesllc.com. I'm Paul Krauss, and you are listening to the Intentional Clinician Podcast. Now let's get to the interview. Welcome, Eli Bedrosian, LPC, to the Intentional Clinician Podcast.
1: Thanks. Hey, thanks for having me on, Paul.
0: Hey, my pleasure. And yeah, I've gotten to know you a little bit over the last year or so, as we have been sharing some office space uh, when I'm in town at the Biltmore Wellness Collective in Phoenix, Arizona. Mm -hmm. And as I read your bio earlier, you are now in private practice full-time. Correct. Uh, at the Biltmore Wellness Collective, and you've got your own site as well, which I'll put in the notes. So I'm excited to ask you about a few concepts here. Uh, we were talking about what we might want to talk about in a podcast, uh, and you talked about three concepts plus some of the techniques you utilize, like EMDR and somatic experience that we're going to talk about. So um, just this is for therapists or clients or anybody out there that's interested in mental health and personal growth. You, you had this uh idea about personal growth space available immediately right um can you tell me exactly what you mean about that what what does that mean to you yeah in some ways it's it's a slightly different way of
1: um talking about you know I think a lot about what's actually out there just as far as you know we're we're all unfinished uh products and personal growth space immediately is just kind of a, a slightly different way of my saying you know uh, are we having the awareness uh in the moment of these opportunities for for growth, right? Sort of where are the tension spots in my life? What do I know that my struggles are? And as uh, as things are coming up in my life, just kind of in a dynamic fashion, here's a chance for me to grow. And a lot of times the growth opportunities don't feel real great, right? And that's why it's a growth opportunity. It's something that we maybe haven't quite yet uh, faced or we haven't quite yet mastered to a point where we're sort of more comfortable with it. So that's sort of what the, you know, that's what the sort of overarching idea behind personal growth space immediately uh, is, is about.
0: Okay. So like, basically what I'm hearing is like, there are all, we can all identify like a small space in our, our life where we know we might need to make some changes, even, you know, whether we're in therapy or not in therapy. And basically uh what i'm hearing with that is there are it's just it's uncomfortable to change is that what i'm hearing
1: it, i think it's spots? often uncomfortable to change right and i think part of part of the um part of my the, the framework with this is that we we're patterned creatures right we're creatures of habit and so learning what our what our patterns are what our habits are what is helping us what's what is our uh you know strengths uh, and then you know this sort of age-old idea of of um, this is how I've adapted to get to this point in different ways. Some of them I'm aware of, some of them I'm not aware of. And are these adaptations serving me now, right in my current life, as my relationships are, as my job situation, my, you know, my family situation? Are they Are they serving me now? And so there's this sort of ongoing opportunity to be looking at that as things come up in the moment. And then am I am I choosing to to take that challenge? Am I choosing to go in a slightly different direction? than what i know and what what is instilled in me already as habit
0: yeah absolutely when you said uh adaptation and habit those are two words i kind of want to talk about so uh we uh adapt so like we're a little baby and we scream to get milk or fee- uh, be fed or our, our diapers change and as we get older we develop language and we sort of you know learn how to navigate the family environment that we may be in or uh, social environments. And then we, we continue to learn and school is of course supposed to help us with all of this and our, and hopefully our, uh, surroundings. But, um, when you mean adaptation, there's, there's lots of ways to adapt. So when you said it's no longer serving us, it might make a bad right. habit. Could you give us an example of somebody who maybe they had something in their life that was like really good and helped them kind of overcome a milestone or an, uh, a situation in their life? And then later on in life, maybe that uh, wasn't, you know, ha- wasn't working for them anymore. And they had to like adapt again, I guess, is what you would say. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so there's, I guess there's, there's so many different examples. I think that um, uh, addiction, you know, uh, uh, oftentimes was some type of adaptive response, right? Not, not the addiction itself, meaning sort of like, you know, I can't stop doing this behavior or the substance, but more whatever the behavior substance was to quell or to soothe or to, or to come down or to get up, you know, from an activation standpoint, um, in my, in my environment, in my, in my circumstance, um, you know, maybe, maybe like, for example, alcohol was something that a person uses, um, to just, just to survive, just to sort of block out the immediate overwhelming, uh, pain or overwhelming circumstances, uh that are there and then of course you know um years years later uh, after it has become let's say it becomes you know an addiction where they they just can't stop um you know is it is it then you know is it then serving them you know uh, as their life circumstances change let's say they make it out of whatever the overwhelming situation is they start a family of their own so on and so forth let's say they're you know the person is successful um, but now the alcohol is starting to get in the way of their relationship with their spouse. Now the relation, the alcohol is starting to get in the way of their effectiveness or their sharpness at work, with the relationship with their kids, and so this sort of reevaluation of okay, so this is not serving me. So, so you know, compulsive behaviors, compulsive. Um, Use of substances is one example. Reactivity, you know, something that seems like, oh, man, this person is just an angry person. There's an angry dude. Uh, it can't seem to, uh, you know, cast that, I think, is another example of an adaptation because in their environment, when they grew up somewhere, somehow that served them, that fit them. Uh, and maybe it was sort of like, I'm going to back people off and hold this this wall of anger so that I don't get hurt more than I already have been, right? So I think I think that's another sort of angle and just thing to be considering is that even when people have ways of being that are really affrontive or offensive to us um, in different ways, not that it justifies bad behavior, but also we want to keep in mind and somewhere in their lives uh, currently or in the past, it was serving them because if not, it, it wouldn't be there, right?
0: Right, Sort of like how certain mammals, um, you know, they take different routes to go get their food, uh, like maybe like a you know some sort of raccoon or something. and then yes, if something gets in their way or there's you know a road built in there or something like that, they may have to take a different way. they're adapting, right or or if the if the uh, winter thaws everything out, they may you know, dig up their food earlier or move to different trees. So you're saying, you know, with like alcohol or anger or different things like that, we for a while, maybe something like that helped us through a situation that we felt that that was a good idea. And now it's starting to cause an impact, a negative impact on our, our behavior. And it takes, I guess the hard part is, you know, how do you, you know, what if somebody thinks, well, this is just the way I am and these are my habits and I don't care. And, and you can't tell me what to do family, like, yeah. you know, you know, do, does somebody need therapy to kind of figure out and reflect <laughs> or, do, you know, send them to therapy, force the <laughs>
1: therapy out of it. Right. Um, and, you know, I also think that, you know, people are, um, they come to things when they're ready. Right. And so therapy has much less of a stigma. Uh, I think, you know, I've been in private, uh, private practice, been licensed, you know, I think approximately eleven years. Uh, I think that's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's much less of a stigma now, like ten plus years later. And yet there's still a stigma um, you know about it as far as you know what does this mean? Does this mean that I'm weak? Does it mean I'm messed up in my brain that I need to go and talk? like, don't I know myself well enough that right? Um, so do they need therapy? Well, you know, I think given given the right therapist, you know it's the right match. you know it's something that can be it's something that can be helpful.
0: Okay. Yeah. So there's still a, st- a stigma that says like, if I'm going to therapy, then means something's wrong with me. Right. There must be, a I think problem.
1: so. What, what right? do you think, Paul? What do you think about that?
0: Well, I, I do think that there are many circles. Uh, they are definitely a stigma for sure. And I think that has to do with ignorance and yeah. pride. I think that, um, you know, if your arm was broken, People would think you're the biggest idiot in the world for not going into the doctor and getting your arm uh, set back and the bone to heal properly. So if something really, you know, oftentimes when people come into therapy, it's because something is happening in their life that sucks, right? It's not because they suck. It's because something happened like a relationship issue or a job issue or a substance issue or a trauma or or all of a sudden they can't sleep very well, or they're worried all the time, or an economic issue brings them into therapy, and that that doesn't mean something's wrong with you. So I feel like that's part of the human problem we run into, the human uh, condition, is that we we seem to associate everything that happens with us with our identity. Instead of, yes. you know, if yes. you live to be 80 or 90 years old, you can pretty much guarantee there are gonna be economic problems, there's gonna be some type of family problem, there will be a government problem. There will be friend problems because that is how this world exists. And the hard part is I think children in schools and a lot of parents don't teach their children about reality. And so then mm-hmm. they get out there on their own at 18. They've got a sort of delusional view of how things work. So I think some of that comes from that. And and also... When a pride and ignorance is usually surrounded by more pride and ignorance, so there's usually a social group that says, yeah, if you go to therapy, you're weak, or something like that. And really, uh, you know, being able to reflect and look at your life actually makes you stronger mentally. And going to therapy and saying, I don't really want to work on this, I don't really want to talk about this, I don't really want to think about this, but I'm going to do it anyway, actually makes you a stronger person. You have to be vulnerable to be able to be strong. So... If you look at really good leaders who are respected, a lot of them have gone to therapy or done some sort of coaching or done some sort of self-help because they have to evolve or adapt with their the, the people they're leading. And the right. leaders who get maligned in the news or their company crumbles or they have a bad reputation, often they don't like, they would even, they probably would say, I don't go to therapy, why would I ever do that? I'm good enough the way I am. Mm-hmm. I'm strong, I made this all myself. And that is what I would call a a, a stunted uh, myopic and narrow view of reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, anybody can change if the, if their conditions are right and if, they're, if their willingness is right and if they've got the right help. So some people might just need a book, right? Or they mm-hmm. might just need a podcast and they might be like, all right, I'm going to change this thing, right? Other people need accountability, a friend or a, a mentor. Other people need a therapist because there's so many blocks and troubles that have happened emotionally or mentally that they need to come to us. So yeah, I think, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of your concept, uh, anybody, if we really set our mind to it and we have the right help and the right conditions, anybody can, can change something in their life, small, at least Uh, when it comes to big things, I think you need a a bit more help often. Um, (laughs) Uh, I think I, I, it's a rare day that somebody revolutionizes and changes their entire life on their own. I think that's a bit of a myth, um, Mm -hmm. because humans are very social creatures. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, totally. Social, uh, social creatures. And let me just circle back just for a moment, just to touch on your point about, um, uh, you know, people becoming over-identified with just, this is just the way, but I am. And I think sometimes it's about fear about I've adapted in a certain way. And I, you know, it's fearful for me to change or for me to be different, because perhaps I'll be less protected. You know, people don't, you know, often say that, or there's just not a willingness to do the hard work uh, that change often requires, Um, you know, which, which is understandable too, right? You know, none of us like, uh, none of us like discomfort. Um, Back to the idea of, you know, All of us are social creatures, 100% absolutely, absolutely, um, you know, group mentality, so much of of the way that we live, the way that we um, are, our desires and motivations, aspirations are tied to our relationships.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that completely. And I think you know, just like um, if you go to the gym and you start running or lifting weights, your body is going to hurt because there's micro tears in your mm-hmm. in your muscle. And I also heard actually there's micro breaks in your bone that mm. actually strengthen your bones. So just like that in nature, why wouldn't working on your mental health? cause micro tears in your Mm -hmm. psyche or your Mm -hmm. behavior or your stress level? Why wouldn't that occur? You Mm -hmm. know, so we have to, why, why? So I think that's when the ego and, and sort of cultural, um, cultural language and cultural topics that are not, that are lacking nuance and critical thought, uh, sort of get in our way, right? Little slogans get in our way. Um, so yeah, I think that's, I think that's a good point about that. We've kind of made our point there. Mm -hmm. Um, Good mental health hygiene. Yeah. Uh, This is one of the things you talk about a lot. And I wanted to know kind of what your thoughts are on that. And uh, maybe I'll ask more questions about that. We'll just start in general.
1: Yeah. Good mental uh, mental hygiene. So this is just the idea um, that there is a hygiene uh, required for all of our all of our, you know, different brains and our brains are wired differently. And so, um, what is, you know, what is a good set of hygiene habits for one person, uh, may not be the, the exact right set of hygiene habits for another person. What I mean is if we sort of look at this from a, a standpoint of, uh, yeah, just activation, um, what is stimulating, um, what is, uh, deactivating or what is a, a way for me to, self-calm uh or nurturing um and just having awareness of what are my needs through the day right and i think um just as sort of a a quick example of that um i think there's a lot of times when you know we are um the way our culture is right now we're set up for a lot of uh, just a lot of stimulation you swipe here you look at this here's another video here uh, you hop on social media here and there's there's a lot of intensity and there's a lot of activation um that our brains are just sort of used to at this point. Uh, and and if that's serving you, then, then wonderful. And if there's some point where you're saying, man, man, maybe my screen time is a bit high. Maybe I need to get out a little bit more and and move my body. You know, that's where, you know, some of these ideas may come into, come into play as far as what is a good, you know, mental, what's a good day for me as far as, uh, maybe I, maybe I get up, maybe I get myself to the gym because there's there's an activating thing where I move my body, but it's it's you know in a really uh positive, you know, in a positive way. Maybe have a stressful day at work. I need to unwind. Well, how do I unwind? Well, maybe being in the pool is something. I think five senses are something really important just to be paying attention to. And some of us are more sensitive to any one or combination of those senses than you know, than somebody else, uh, maybe. Um, the nature of our relationships is, is something that has really big um factors as far as you know regulation or being dysregulated Um, you know what else just practices so it might be yoga it might be journaling it might be uh, meditation Um, what are my practices for taking care of myself where I feel like there's a ground beneath me I think it's so easy uh, in our culture to kind of get swept away in doing doing and doing and doing and doing and doing and achievement, and not feeling good enough, and and deep into the social media uh, rabbit holes um, to the point where, you know, we're feeling lost, you know, um, and so just this idea of good mental hygiene around, well, on a daily basis, what's what's the right mix, what's the right balance of things, and that can be dynamic for a person, you know, different phases of their life.
0: Yeah, so I think what I'm hearing again is, like, reflecting on what you actually do with your time, Yes. So there's a fun uh, activity you can do on your phone where you go to settings somewhere mm-hmm. and you look up your screen time and look up what apps you use. You can mm-hmm. actually set limits on the new iPhone. I'm not sure what hmm. everyone's phone are, but you can actually set the limits on your apps. Uh, you can look and see what your activity is like. When your screen's on, what are you mostly Mm -hmm. on? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I can see here, it says Gmail, eight minutes. I just said my phone. Uh Uh-oh. That's on my phone, too. That's not even on my computer. Notes, eight minutes. Mm -hmm. I won't even get into the rest of it. But Mm -hmm. the point is, is that uh, what are we actually doing to track our time? Because all of these devices, the news, the radio, billboards, computers, TV, they all want our time. -hmm. And they want our time usually for quite specific processes, which are Mm -hmm. eventually either mining our data for money or Mm -hmm. taking our money or Mm -hmm. making us aware of something that we will then spend money on. Okay. Mm -hmm. A lot of it goes there. Some of it's informational. But, um, you know, if we aren't using our body, our body is going to respond in a certain Mm -hmm. way. It's very Mm -hmm. simple biology and physics but we don't mm-hmm. often think about this because i never had a health class that talked about this they just mm-hmm. would say exercise is good for you mm-hmm. exercise is good for me if you don't exercise you die actually like you have to walk you have to mm-hmm. move around your systems will shut down one by one mm-hmm. if you just sit inside like i've watched the there's the reality shows where people do that and it's horrible they like have these horrible medical procedures just to keep them alive mm-hmm. so like Exercise is not good for you. Exercise is essential to humans and to Mm -hmm. every mammal uh, that, you know, I think back when we were gathering our food in bushes and going out and having to hunt gazelles, I think exercise was just something you did.
1: That's right. It was a part of life, right? Right.
0: But now you actually have to make an effort in the modern world to do things that all of our ancestors did generally, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've heard of the term sitting is the new smoking.
1: Yes. Yeah. So
0: sitting is actually really bad for you to sit for great lengths of time. So we have standing desks now. We mm-hmm. go on a treadmill. I read. I learned this recently. I was asking somebody who was a runner. I said, why do so many people, you know, get all these problems from running? And they're, you know, isn't running like a natural thing to do? And they said, yes, but humans for thousands of years ran on grass or dirt, mm-hmm. which gives way in his cushion compared to pavement which does not give way with your mm-hmm. weight even mm-hmm. maybe a big truck might ripple it a little bit so that's why we've invented all these shoes to try to k- keep us from mm-hmm. breaking our micro fracturing our shins mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. or whatever on this cement so it's like these things that we take for granted in the modern world actually to make us more comfortable or more safe can actually be killing us both mentally and physically mm-hmm. And in fact, I read recently that uh, people that exercised, and I don't mean that you have to go to the gym and join CrossFit and buy Lululemon clothes and get a headband and a tank. I don't mean that. Decent people
1: do. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah,
0: I know. Right. It's true. But you just have to move yourself, you know, 30, 40 minutes a day minimum to stay in any sort of, you know, healthy shape. Mm -hmm. That the mental health is unbelievable difference. 30 to 40% better mentally that day from Mm -hmm. 30 minutes of exercise. It's crazy, your mood. So, and I noticed it. I didn't exercise this morning, but I did yesterday. And I could tell already I'm dragging. I'm a little bit more tired. So, mental health hygiene is really. And then you said the five senses, paying attention. How many times we actually pay attention to smell or sound? We might just be focusing on sight, right? So, right. And you said regulation. What is that? Can you explain what regulation is? Because I feel like that's a therapist. therapist Yeah.
1: It's a, it's a clinical word, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It, I mean, I, I think I think in some ways we're always regulating ourselves. This just, just means like um, kind of helping ourselves to feel better, kind of helping ourselves to feel uh, content. It could be stimulation seeking, all right, where maybe our brain is looking for something. So if it's bouncing a knee, if it's tapping, uh, you know, your finger, if it's, uh, you know, for, for especially for young kids, you got the case of the Wigglies, you just can't. You need to move your body uh somewhere um you shift positions in your chair you know that's that's regulation you there's something even uh beyond the sort of conscious level that's saying hey like move your body this is getting mm-hmm. uncomfortable the blood flow is uh stopping so regulation is just a way of saying kind of like making yourself uh, more comfortable um making a shift or a change to meet some kind of need in your body and a lot of times we're not even aware uh that you know that that's that's happening
0: Okay. So basically like monitoring how your body's responding to his environment. There you go. Yeah. With temperature, yep. and, but also how emotions. it's feeling inside
1: and yeah. Yep. Okay. That too. Yeah. Okay.
0: Okay. So the, that, the that, be- I think that's a rough thing to do. I think a lot of us don't want to do that. I think we don't want to know how we're really feeling. What do you think about that?
1: No, I think, I think you're, I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think there's this whole thing where, you know, therapists say, hey, man, you know, feel your emotions, you know, feel, feel, which, which I do, by the way, I'm mocking. Uh, that's something that I say and something that I do. I also don't know that we need to be aware of our body sensations, which is something that I advocate for and, and our emotions, which is something else that I advocate for. They're connected all the time. Um, you know, I think it's okay for us to take breaks and for us to check out uh, and for us to be distracted and to use distraction, as as a method sometimes sometimes the the issue is i think long term it's helpful to have some awareness of body some awareness of of feeling because when we don't then that's when all these other sort of side effects um you know can you know can happen right so my anger is coming out in a sideways kind of way my or i'm angry all the time but it's really about um you know a, a, an underlying depression or a grief that i haven't touched on or a loss that i just you know uh, have buried you know that i've buried away um so anyway so those are also anyway that's i guess that's that
0: yeah well i guess is is it, where do people learn these things is this something we learn in therapy is this something you teach people how to do
1: so i think um yeah, and interestingly, you were talking about, you know, in old times and, and hunting and things like that. I wondered to myself if people just had more body awareness. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm not sure. Uh, it for sure is something that I try to impart on people, but it's not as if it's some magical thing that people can't do. It's something that is very natural. I think people, I think that's one of the reasons why, um, amongst other things, yoga has been such a, a popular thing over the last 10, 20 years, maybe probably longer than that. Uh, because it's it's this way of reconnecting people with what they have been connected with, you know, previously for such a long time, which is th- their own bodies, their own movement, their own uh, sense of self, their own sense of ground, which I think is, you know, is is a big part of what I'm trying to share as far as, you know, self-regulation, as far as good mental hygiene. It's like, am I in contact with myself? Um, do I know myself? Not sort of only intellectually, with the laundry lists of bullet points of who I am and the different roles that I feel, but do I feel myself from from uh, from the inside out, from a body perspective? And if you do, um, or you do, you know, um, much of the time, or you can have access to that, then those are indicators that you're in more of a regulated state at those points, and that you're
0: doing something right. Okay, that's good. And that's something people can learn to do on their own. Um yes. because you're right. I think it is natural, especially little kids.
1: Yes, absolutely. They run all right. over
0: the place. They're always like, I'm too cold, I'm too hot. Yes. I need more food. Like they naturally do. And I think then when you're growing up in society and going to school and work, um, you know, other people are dictating the temperature in the school or the or the workplace, and they're they're dictating when you might eat. You know, right. they're dictating when you are allowed to talk out loud and when you're allowed to raise your hand or when you're supposed to be quiet. So I think then all of a sudden we're sort of like overriding what we know. Right. Yes. And then, and then, you know, it takes a while to understand what conditioning we've had. And I mean, some of the conditioning is good. I mean, it's not bad to say, yeah. you know, that kids shouldn't just be like throwing stuff all the time and eating in class. Like, that's probably a good thing. But we have to we have to see that that is a condition that that has happened uh, with us. And so you're,
1: you're so right. You're so right and with yeah. and with that. Yeah, and there's this there's a sort of mix, right? There's this mix of with this conditioning sort of we we'll call it like inhibit, right? So uh sit down little Johnny or um you know, it's too cold. Well, class is going to be over in 15 minutes. And so you mm-hmm. you sort of learn to tolerate. And there's and there's there's benefit to that. But there can also be sort of uh you know, I'll give you some of the cry about, you know, kind of messages where that are they're that also inhibit like inhibit. Do not feel. Uh do not address, do not talk about. That are in my mind more clearly on the, the the negative side, where it it impacts a person to then shut down emotionally, to then develop in a way where they do not relate to their emotions, which means, as far as I'm concerned, that they also then don't relate to themselves, and they have a much more difficult time knowing and understanding and feeling who they are from the inside out. Uh, if if uh, if that has been especially something that has been consistent in their lives, where it, where it's sort of like don't you know don't feel um don't ask too many questions um you know don't don't worry about how your body is is feeling or you know even in the case of sort of physical abuse you know at a certain point you begin to check out from the pain because it's a survival tactic and so you become disassociate disassociated from uh from that
0: would you say then that, that is other people imposing their will on people becomes sort of a habit. And then the person doesn't possibly know why they do certain things. And that's a way of, that's them adapting to the situation, but it could be a negative adaptation or an adaptation that maybe doesn't serve them. Is that what I'm hearing?
1: No, sure. Right. But in, but in their environment, uh, maybe that, maybe it served them well. Right. Or so, so totally Paul. And so, you know, maybe, maybe it's like, Hey, children are, um, uh, to be, to be seen and not heard. Right. Well, so that means I don't have a voice. Mm. And so, mm-hmm. so then I'm just going to be quiet in this environment. And then perhaps the person grows up and their partner is like, Hey, like, why don't you speak more? Right. And then mm-hmm. there's another example of, okay, well, so there's an adaptation that is not really serving that person anymore. And they have to sort of struggle and push through, uh, Oh, here's a moment where I maybe want to talk, but there's this heavy pattern pattern of habituated inhibition, of don't talk, that I need to work. And that's what I mean sort of about these in-the-moment opportunities to change and do different, right? So there's all these pathways that have been formed, in this case, of don't talk, of say nothing. And I have to actively push against that discomfort, my impulse to stay quiet then, to use voice. And to do that on a consistent basis until that habit is formed enough that even if it's still uncomfortable for Me to talk or to use voice that that i'm now in the practice of of doing that
0: yeah okay that sounds good and that does sound like something you can find on your own but also the therapy process can accelerate that because you have somebody uh in your corner helping you out and oftentimes uh, yeah in life relationships can very be very complicated which is why i like the therapy relationship because it's complicated but it's real simple there's boundaries We're not becoming your buddy. We're not coming out. We're not bringing our stuff as much as we can into the room unless it's to help you. Mm-hmm. And we're teaching you and we're trying to empower you and get you on your way versus a family member or a relationship or a friend or a, or, or, or a significant other may have a lot of other intentions with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and those are hard to trust. And our only intention is to to try to do the best thing for you. And that's why it's a service. And that's why it's something paid for by insurance and or cash because it is a boundaried situation. Um, This is an interesting one you were talking to me about, which is guilt as evidence of progress. That to me is, that was struck me. I didn't understand that fully. Can you explain to me what you mean?
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, it it, it fits in with all the rest of the stuff that we're we're, uh, talking about, right? So, uh, you know, maybe the easiest way is, you know, let's say with this last example, right? So, Maybe it's um whatever the training was, I'm not supposed to talk. I'm not supposed to have a voice. um in somebody's early formative years, that tends to have a big bearing um, you know on on the rest of our lives, um, but we you know can overcome things. okay. So, um maybe when the person starts using their voice, there is this big guilt. like i maybe i'm I'm complaining. depending on what the right the family culture or what what the person was sort of told when they spoke. Uh, I'm taking up too much space. Uh, mm. I'm complaining. Um, whatever the sort of values were around silence, there may be a guilt ab- about that. Oh, now I'm now I'm complaining too much. Now I'm putting my needs before the family. Uh, now I'm uh, being selfish, right? And so, um, and it's sort of challenging because then there's there's this big guilt. Well, I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to overshadow other people. I don't want to. Uh, be selfish and take up space where somebody else, you know, could have used that space for something um, or or someone else's time when other people maybe are more important or they have more important things going on or they're more hurt than I am. And so there's, you know, there can be this guilt that is there. Um, and then it's sort of reflecting, okay, so how much of this is trained into me based on my past experiences and messaging and and family of origin or, or and or young adult life And how much of that is serving me now, right? So if I continue to stay quiet, how does my partner know what I think, feel, believe? How do I form friendships? How do I uh, advocate for myself? How do I defend and protect myself? How do I defend and protect other people if I don't have uh, a habit of of using voice right so just using using one example it's not all about that one specific example about using voice but that's sort of a springboard into what we're what we're talking about uh right it's just, as far as this guilt so now the person has guilt right let's say they're using their voice more the therapist says hey use your voice more uh look what's happening you know your relationship is falling apart you are being a doormat people are and but, but the person says client says oh man you know i i um I, I feel like, I feel so guilty about that, right? I just feel like I'm I'm taking up too much space or, and it's sort of like, well, maybe that guilt, that kind of guilt is is an indicator of progress in that case.
0: Ah, I see. So like, we might feel guilty because we have changed against what we were maybe told we should or shouldn't do when we were younger and that we adapted to that. Yes. And so for instance, uh, perhaps uh, somebody worked at, a ice cream store. This, uh, this mm-hmm. is actually a story my friend told me. They worked mm-hmm. at an ice cream store and they're making very little money an hour plus tips and people don't really tip at ice cream stores. So anyway, mm-hmm. and then that one day they said, well, Hey, I'm going to go off to college. I have this scholarship and I really want to you know, do this. And I remember they told me the story that this is when they're 18, their boss took them out <laughs> somewhere <laughs> to eat some food. It was like, You don't understand the opportunity that I'm giving you. It's the opportunity of a lifetime to be a manager at this ice cream store. (laughs) You could make this much money. And then they're 18 and they thought, oh, wow, that is a lot of money I can make, right? Mm -hmm. And the boss was sort of trying to make them feel bad for telling them, hey, I got to quit in August. I got to go off to college right and then they remember thinking wait a minute this is ridiculous and like they didn't want to tell the boss that day because they had taken him out to get some food or some sandwiches or something so then the next week they told the boss hey so sorry i got to turn on my notice like 60 days or 30 days from now i got to go to college and their boss was going oh you don't care about me you don't care about the ice cream store don't you think about all these kids that come in your good ice cream you're so <laughs> one of my best workers i've ever had for the last three years And this client, this person I knew, he told me this, he's like, he's like, I felt guilty. Like, man, I'm abandoning this poor guy. But then I was like, what the hell? (laughs) I just came here to make a little bit of money scooping ice cream for the summer. The last three summers, I didn't want to make this my life, you know, and now he's like a he's like an advanced programmer that owns his own like software company and whatever, but wow. he, wow, he, cool. you know, he felt guilty and yet he w- did make progress because he realized he went to college and yeah, he wasn't making 35 K or whatever he could have made as a manager, at the ice cream store, but, and he sacrificed a few years, but he was able to make his goal, but he had to feel a little bit, he felt a little bit guilty about because this guy kind of programmed him to be like, I need you. My ice cream needs scooping, you know? So like, that's a silly story, but I remember him telling me that, and we kind of had a good laugh about it. And uh, the opportunity of a lifetime, he kept laughing about that. Um, but in that guy's mind, you know, his boss, he probably did think it was the opportunity of a lifetime because that's what he had done. He had become right. a manager, and then eventually bought an ice cream store. You know, right. so so that was his truth. But just because something is somebody else's truth doesn't mean it's your truth.
1: Which is which is the which is a critical thing. Uh, and I love the story, uh, you know, ice cream scooper position uh, available with the potential for servitude. Um, uh, I mean, and in a broader way, you know, boundaries. You know, if we think about boundaries for a moment, you know, um, oftentimes, uh, you know, I, I think early on when I was training, I was in school, you know, in my internship. You know, the boundaries lecture had this bound and it's oh you know, boundaries. Wow. You set boundaries and then people can't mess with you and you set boundaries and all is clear. All is right with the universe. And I think what I didn't understand um, uh, is is that, you know, it's still human nature, which is people get pissed off. Uh, people get disappointed. People get hurt, right? Just like this, you know, this guy's boss. Um, but but it doesn't mean that your reality has to be the other person's reality. And in fact, a lot of times it's really doesn't help you if um, you have the exact same reality, or you feel coerced to have the exact same reality as someone else. And there's something in your gut, in your body. There's that idea again, is saying this isn't right. This is this, this not sitting right with me. There's something that I'm feeling that feels off about this um so anyway
0: yeah yeah no i think that i think that's a hard thing and i think that's why it's important we talk to friends and mentors and therapists about these sort of things so that we can understand what is going on because there are people in the world that want to push your boundaries for a specific reason Mm -hmm. and that reason is often some sort of control for whatever reason they need control that's their that's their yeah. issue in the world. That's their, that's their, uh, sure, what they're doing. So, and
1: sometimes I think there's, just there's, there's good folks. I mean, I think, you know, just briefly, I think we, I, you know, I think we've all done that before, Paul. That's my, I think I've done that before. Sure. You know, someone switches something up in the relationship or they set a boundary and I'm like angry about it or I'm disappointed or I'm shocked and it, and yeah, uh, and it feels unreasonable. And then when I sit back and like, no, you know, maybe, you know, maybe not, maybe this is this person um, asserting themselves or doing something different and doing something that they need to do to take care of them. And maybe I lose something or, you know, I perceivably lose something in that. Um, but, you know, but it's, it's good to just reflect on that.
0: I agree. I think we all do that sometimes. And that may, you know, we, we have our, we might have an agenda, you know, sometimes we try to get rid of our agenda and just try to like, go with the flow. But I think if you don't, if you only go with the flow, mean, some real trouble, but if you only have an agenda, you're also in real trouble. So there's a balance there. And that's right. that we talk about. Um, yeah. So I, uh, you talked about a couple of resources that you like couple books. Well, can you tell me about these books? Two of the books you told me about were in an unspoken voice by Dr. Yeah. Peter Levine and yeah. getting pastor Pass by Dr. Francine Shapiro. Can you tell yeah. me about those books?
1: Yeah. So, and, I, and, um, you know, forgive me. I, it's it's been a little bit since I've read, though. But I remember the impression that they. So first of all, Dr. Peter Levine is the is the founder of Somatic Experience. So that was a training that I took. I am a Somatic Experience practitioner. But he basically lay, you know, lays out his theory. This is one of. Uh, he has a number of different books on Somatic Experience, um, and a lot of it is about it's about regulation and and it's about uh, healing trauma. Um, and you can take a look at the book as far as you know, looking at his theories. Um, but I think there's there's some really just um, good points where he he talks about how human beings are animals, just like what you were saying. Human beings are animals are coping me- uh, methods, the methods that we have to survive difficult situations, overwhelming situations. Um, and then what happens when sort of our survival responses get stuck within us and trauma symptoms and, and what that looks like and, and PTSD. So I think that's really helpful. And, and then Dr. Francine Shapiro is the creator of EMDR. Um and I think in that in that book, uh, it's there's these sort of practical, uh, straightforward ideas about you know how to help yourself to relieve some of the things from the past. I also you know am I practice EMDR as well, and I think that's an incredibly powerful technique. They tend to be um, some people feel like they're they're opposite, they they they're not compatible. There's a lot of people that sort of hang out in one camp or the other, and I struggle the divide. I think that there's there's really meaningful stuff. approaches in both of them and i use i use both emdr and somatic experience in different ways depending on the person depending on what is coming up uh, in the room but back you know back to the book uh, the there's there's um there are just some some um i think simple things almost overly simple it seems like at first just to help you uh to relieve some of the symptoms of trauma in this uh in the emdr book
0: that's great that's great so I'm going to be putting your links to your private practice in the show notes. I appreciate all your time today. Is there anything you want to leave the listener with or a potential client or, or somebody who just wants to learn more? Any 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 final thoughts you have? I guess one of the examples
1: is like compulsive sexuality is, is a coping method. A lot of times for people, that's another thing. And that's something that I've had uh, experience helping people to, to work through or to come more into congruence with their beliefs and their values around their own uh sexuality um and so and using the approaches of somatic experience oftentimes emdr as well um that's something that else that uh, that i that i help folks with that i i didn't mention before
0: excellent yes Uh, i think so you so just to recap uh you've worked in big treatment centers in multiple roles uh you have worked at a group practice for many years i think at least six and you do Mm -hmm. you work on trauma addiction uh to substances but also sexual addiction and you have the somatic experiencing uh background as well as the emdr therapist and Mm -hmm. uh you're licensed professional counselor and you work with individuals couples and families is that right true yeah that's true Excellent. And currently you're in uh, the middle of Phoenix at the Biltmore Wellness Collective, and you can check that out in the links and people can just send you an email or give you a call. And that's maybe how they get started. if They want to work with you. Yes, that's right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being my guest. I learned a lot and I'm excited uh, for everyone else to hear this. Hey,
1: great. Hey, Paul, thanks so much for the time and and, uh, and the space to talk about these things.
0: Absolutely. My pleasure. You And there you have it. This has been another episode of the Intentional Clinician Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please share it with people you know. I would surely appreciate it. Or take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. As most of you know, I am passionate about preventing future violence in the United States. My colleagues and I have started a nonprofit called the National Violence Prevention Hotline, a 501 organization. We are endeavoring to gain funding and collaborators so that we can start a 24 7 hotline and chat line to reach potential perpetrators before they act violently. It is a bold effort to save lives and curb violence by working to connect with potential offenders while they are in the planning stages of violence, help to de escalate them. and provide resources so that they can get appropriate professional help. The National Violence Prevention Hotline is looking to open up a conversation about violence in society, the causes, and the solutions. You can learn more by visiting our website, www.violencepreventionhotline.org. Join us online by signing our petition on the website, sharing the website with your network of people, donating to the cause if you like and you can now even write your congressperson from our website with a simple form i've said it before and i'll say it again if you are a therapist looking for ethical and excellent medical billing services check out therapist LLC.com. that's www.therapistbillingservicesllc.com billing services created by therapists for therapists If you're looking for an EMDR International Association consultant, I am a consultant and I can provide you the 20 hours you need to become EMDRIA certified. I have groups online and in person and I do individual consultation. Just send me a message at the website and I'll get back to you. If you want to get trained in EMDR therapy, check out the great training opportunities with EMDR Training Solutions. I've worked with them before and they are phenomenal. So register today if you are in need of counseling do not hesitate to make an appointment at a local counseling center in your area you can also make an appointment with the excellent clinicians in the grand rapids michigan area at health for life counseling and the trauma-informed counseling center of grand rapids by visiting www.healthforlifegr.com the recording you just listened to consists of the personal opinions of paul kraus and his guest and while these are based on the literature they have read and the experience in their fields This should not be viewed as a definitive opinion on any subject. Listening to this podcast is not a substitute for treatment. If you're in a crisis, please dial 911 or the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. You can also text 741741 and a live, trained crisis counselor will respond. Did you know you could support your local bookstore by shopping at www.bookshop.org? You can order from the comfort of your own home online while supporting local brick and mortar businesses near you. If you are a therapist and you are not a member of your national or local therapy organizations such as the American Counseling Association or the American Mental Health Counselors Association, please get involved, at least pay the dues. It will help the lobbyists in our field keep us from becoming gig workers. And, of course, there's the bonus of increasing mental health education around the United States and helping people understand what counseling is and promoting best practices within our profession. Until next time, I wish you all a safe and peaceful week. And kindness Whatever you do In variation Let's